In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to another episode here on the Draft Time Show today with myself, Razan Badakiyoum. Over the next two hours, we're going to be with you speaking about two topics, as usual, in the first half of the program. We're going to speak about poor housing and the impact that poor housing has on uh, the health of people. And then in the second half of the program, we're going to speak about the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and uh, the propagation of the message of Islam Ahmadiyyat and that the promised Messiah has arrived, has come, how that message is being propagated to the corners of the earth. As always, do give us a call on 0208-687-7878 or you can send us a tweet at Voice of Islam UK and we're also on Instagram. Speaking about Instagram, the question we're asking you on our Instagram story today, so go to Voice of Islam UK, Question is, are you confident talking to people about your faith? Um, so that is on uh, Instagram. And uh, if you want to add anything on top of that, by all means, do leave us a comment. Brother Kim, assalamu alaikum to you. Peace be on you, brother. As a Friday afternoon, it is... Uh, what's the word? The... It's, the, it's, the, it's that word. It's that word. It's that word. Well, people who listen to this Friday show, <laughs> you know what I meant, really, don't you? Of course you do. Um, good to see you. Good to be back on a Friday afternoon yeah. uh, talking about two <clears throat> very interesting topics. Um, the first hour that we're going to be talking about um, poor housing. Um, in human rights, we talk about um, mm. housing is a human right. Everyone needs to have yeah. adequate shelter irrespective of you know this is that's just an international phenomenon it's you know it's it's a it's a given that people need to have a roof over their head yeah so when we are having to spend one hour which is just nowhere near enough to talk about poor housing in the sixth largest economy in the world something's amiss but mm. that's what we're going to be talking about and uh, we've got some fantastic guests lined up who will shed some light onto the severity of the problem that mm. we are facing. And just to give a, a, an idea, I'm sure most of our listener uh, our listener is listening out there and, and he's been listening to the news and he's listening to headlines about school buildings, mm. about if you have a child who's uh, being taught in a cabin because the building is uh, of, uh, of a structure which is deemed as dangerous because of a certain type of concrete. Well... Multiply that from a time point of view um, with infinity. Um, yes, it's an exaggeration, but you know you understand the sentiment here that similar problems which are being highlighted now in commercial buildings have been around in housing for decades. Um, and this is not a political issue. Mm. It's been it's been a political football for some time, but now even that football is exhausted and saying, "Please leave me alone. Deal with the problem," yeah. which is. There's just the the quality of housing that we have been building has been based around profiteering, not a service to the people who need it. On that, like on a personal note, um, in 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 my line of work as an imam, I sometimes not sometimes, but on a regular basis, I do go see people, I do visit people in their houses, and you wouldn't believe the amount of times I have seen. The, like really horrible conditions with some of these houses where these people are living in with their children, with their elderly family members. And 
landlords or the companies that they've rented it from, or if it's temporary accommodation, simply not doing anything about it. And and I want to bring a bit of fairness into the game. And also, I, I don't know, some people say it's conflict of interest. I know what I'm talking about yeah. when it comes to housing. <clears throat> I, I have done, I, I work in the field of property. I have been working in private sector and public sector housing over over a, over a decade of experience. I used to look and survey um, public sector and private sector housings from a health and safety and fire regulation point of view. And I can assure you what just Brother Raza said, the quality of housing, it is not a private sector issue. It is not a public sector issue. That's what the narrative is being built up and looking to 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 um, blame someone, mm. that time's over. We need to find a solution, um, and and I can I can tell you of stories of type of properties I've seen, which uh, you know it it the mind boggles you thinking yeah. people are having to live in these conditions. Yeah. I've seen it firsthand. So the Guardian reports a research by the charity Shelter, which found that 40% of people in rented homes experienced poor health due to their living conditions in the previous years. Now, whilst dampness in houses affects people's physical health, a lack of suitable and affordable shelter has shown to impact the mental health of numerous people as well. So what needs to be done to bring an end to this crisis and provide short as well as, and more importantly, long-term support to those affected by it. Brother, you mentioned we have a lineup of guests. We're going to shed some light on this very important topic. Our first guest for today is Dr. Keith Baker. He's a research fellow in fuel poverty and energy policy at the BAME Center in Glasgow Caledonian University. Good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show, Dr. Baker. Good afternoon. Sorry, I didn't get your name, but... Uh... It's Raza. Raza. Okay, nice to meet you. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, yeah, so it's Razan Kiyum. Um, I'll I'll ask you the first question, if that's all right, Brother Kiyum. Um, Dr. Keith, what aspect of people's well-being are affected by you know the the situation that or the 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 picture that we've just painted from my personal experience, from Brother Kiyum's personal experience, as um, the people are going through, and the charity Shelter, which found that forty percent of people in rented homes they have experienced poor health because of the living conditions that they were in. Well, I mean, the obvious things are physical and mental health, and those two are very, very interrelated as well. Because if we, you know, if we don't feel mentally fit, it, it affects our ability to you know, to look after our physical health, and vice versa. If we're not feeling physically well, that affects our mental. And housing, you know, most of us spend large amounts of time in it, and so so every problem is going to compound um, any problems that Do- we have. Doctor Baker, applies, sorry, sorry, my apologies to interrupt. Um, we're going to ask our technician to 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 reconnect with you because we can only hear. Um, part of what you're saying. So uh, oh, do sorry. bear with us. Our technician will give you a call back. All right, but the archive is going to do that in the meantime. Um, you know, poor housing. Hmm. We're being we're being fair. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're, I should say we're being very unfair <laughs> to the problem. Uh-huh. It is catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. It is. Um, we we haven't we we've found short term solutions without looking at the long term uh, effects of the solutions we have found. Um, we have looked at financial gains over the health um, of the people living in it, and you know. 
if and, and I can go into historic stories, but the most recent and the most um, the, the 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 most tragic story would be Grenfell Tower. Yeah, yeah. In no the doubt. name of progressive yeah, yeah. tiling, absolute nonsense tiling was put on these buildings, which took eventually the life of just over seventy people. But let's go back to Dr. Baker. Oh, sorry. Thank you. So, sorry for the technical problems. Um, okay. I hope, hopefully this is clearer now. Much but, better. Uh, Loud and clear, um, Dr. Baker. Ah, great. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about the links between physical and mental health. Um, and just to give you some examples of that, um, we know, for example, that people um, people's mental health is, is affected just by fear of debt, not necessarily being in debt. But, you know, we're, we're approaching the winter now and our energy bills are going to go up. So being worried about that big bill that's about to land in your inbox or land on your doorstep, um, you know, that creates problems for people. Um, I, you could pick all sorts because, you know, obviously the homes that we live in, you know, basically govern our every, you know, all, the, all our activities. Um, another, another one I picked, um, I was citing a couple of days ago, um, children being able to do homework at home if they're living in cold you know cold drafty homes um with maybe not being able to pay for uh, internet access or you know anything like that that affects their ability and quite a few years ago i heard an absolutely heartbreaking story of somebody um somebody who was in a, a flat in glasgow uh, her kid had asthma and she was being told um to, to help the kids asthma to, to keep the windows open to keep the windows open but the flat was cold it was cold and and damp um suffering from moisture problems as well so the council was saying close your windows to look after the flat but um her healthcare professionals were saying you need to open the windows to, to you know help your kids asthma so there were some absolutely heartbreaking stories coming out of the people that, that i speak to um and we, we could go on for hours about this dr baker it's such a fantastic point you make that and to the listener I want to kind of put a context on that, that you mentioned poor housing and draft. So the tenant is having to increase the heating to ensure that the pro- that the property is warm. But yep. because the draft is there, the heating is escaping that much more quicker. So they're cold, but they're having to put the heat up, which means it's going to cost them that much more in the bill. Absolutely. So, so it's it's... The, the tenant or the occupant of the property is left in a cash 22 where they don't have any choices left. Yeah. And in terms of poverty, I mean, I know the, I see the question that's coming up now um, about the links between uh, between energy poverty or fuel poverty yeah, and please. poverty in general. What yeah. we are seeing now um, that, you know, there's various measures of poverty and various different forms of poverty. And what what we're seeing and we've not published on the, on this because we just haven't had the time. Um, but looking at some data that's coming out from governments, we're seeing a lot of convergence between the different types of poverty. So we are effectively looking at severe, you know, severe poverty affecting everybody in all aspects of their lives rather than some people having a problem paying for their energy bills or some people having a, a you know a problem with their rent or anything you know we are, during the energy crisis last you if you've if you've spoken to people like shelter and citizens advice you'll know that the the demand for their services went through the roof um and this is now we we used to have this what we call the heat or eat dilemma you know do you, yeah. do you put food on your table or do you heat your home we're now looking at people who are just simply not afford, able to afford their rent or their mortgages, um, and obviously that comes first. This it has been a really, really worrying time. I'm not sure this year is going to be as bad as last year, but the general trend is is looking at increasing levels of poverty. Dr. Baker, you you hit the, you hit the nail on the head from from a from a resident's point of view that 
their predicament is being explained. But this isn't a political issue, is it? Or it shouldn't be. This, shouldn't should, this, be. this is a human rights issue. Yes, absolutely. Now We should all have the right to a warm home. Yes. And especially when we put that narrative in the equation that we're the sixth largest economy in the world, we're one of the richest countries in the world in that respect, economically speaking. This shouldn't be happening here, should it? No. No, absolutely not. Um, and it's an absolute scandal that it does. And when we look at the countries that we compare ourselves to and their standards of living being, you know, here in Scotland, we always look at Scandinavia yeah. um, and where their standards of living are some of the best in the world. And we're talking about cold countries. We're not talking about people, you know, people in nice temperate climates where, you know, they'll get a lot of heat without needing to put the heating on. Um, this is simply about those countries having much better building standards in many ways, much better enforcement, much um, you know, just more caring societies. But OK, you pay a bit more in taxes, but you get an awful lot more out of the system. But, you know, the the solution that a lot of people and, and mainstream media is, tend to find is start to uh, start to blame someone. So at the moment, the private sector landlords are being blamed for having... Shoddy, shoddy properties on the market. It's not a private or a public sector issue, is it? It's actually across the board. It is, it is. Um, I mean, we can blame regulation. You know, we can say, well, the regulations aren't strong enough. But then we also have the private sector lobbying to keep those regulations as, you know, as low as possible. Um, you know, everything they can get out of, they will. And there are plenty of good, I should say, there are plenty of housing developers who are trying to to push things forward partly because they want to be seen to be producing much better quality properties mm. so but these are tend to be really quite small and you compare them to let's just pick one particularly bad example of persimmon homes um who are in yeah the, the, the program quite... that was on it a couple of days ago in fact oh right panorama <laughs> panorama panorama did a huge yeah. uh, uh, on on bbc they, they did a huge um uh, hour on on uh, on poor housing yeah, and these guys have an awful lot of political weight. Yes. And they get it because they're building, you know, hundreds and hundreds of homes, um, and they will argue against every single point of it, not just every single percentage, but every bit of a percentage that is affecting their bottom line. And yet, I speak to housing developers, I spoke to somebody a couple of days ago who was working for a small developer, and we were talking about a change to regulation that would um, add about 10% of his costs. And he didn't think that was a big thing at all because they're providing themselves good quality homes. The big guys don't like it. They've got an awful lot of power. Um, finally, uh, the, the, the problem needs to be solved at the root, which is policy, which is regulation. Yeah. What changes need to be made to, to, um, to, to get some real action and, and resolution to, to solve the issue of poor housing? I think for a start, we need we we need much better um, inspection and, and enforcement, yeah. particularly around problem sectors. Like we know, the private rented sector is particularly bad. Yeah. Um, you know, better building standards, and they are coming, is not going to affect the majority of people. You know, that is a, a very very small number of homes being built every year. So we've actually got to be, you know, we've actually got to tackle the existing stock. Um, and there are ways we can do that through regulation, but I think. You know, if I ha if I could spend one, uh, you know, I don't know, five hundred million or something tomorrow, what I would do is support the local advice organisations, the local energy advocacy organisations, um, including you know, councils provide these services. Citizens Advice is a particularly good one as well. Um, but there are um, 
small local community-based organisations who, you know, they live in their communities, they understand their communities, and there will be different solutions for different communities. So a classic example, we know that people whose language is not, uh, whose first language is not English struggle to understand or often struggle to understand their energy bills or how to interact with an energy supplier. Hmm. So these are organizations that would have one or more people who are you know, totally fluent in their community languages, and that would make a huge difference. Fantastic. Dr. Baker, just one last yes or no question. The regulation you talked about that, that private sector should adhere to would you say the public and private sector should have the same regulation they need to adhere to in respect of housing? Yes, because we can't ask the private sector to do something that the public sector is not doing or mm. vice versa. You know, it, it's got to be a standard. And there may be, you know, there may be reasons why you would adjust that within that. But in terms of your headline standards, absolutely should be the same. Fantastic. Dr. Baker, thank you so much for taking time out. No and problem. To drive time show. I wish you a fantastic evening and a weekend ahead. Peace be with you. And you too. Nice to meet you. Thank Cheers. you. Bye-bye. Research Fellow in Fuel Poverty and Energy Policy at the Built Environment Asset Man- Management Centre at Glasgow Caledonian University, Dr. Keith Baker. We are actually going to go to our next guest right away, who is the chair of the UK Clean Air Steering Committee. Uh, Tom Woolley is with us on line. Tom, good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Yes, uh, um, good afternoon. Um... You have personally gone to Rochdale to examine the case of Awab Ishaq. Um, for those of our listeners who are not aware of that, first of all, if you can just you know very briefly um, talk us through that and what can you tell us about this case and, and, and the effect of, of mold in our homes? Well, this, this is a very important case because... Uh, uh, poor little Awab uh, died as a result of uh, mold in his home, which is a social housing apartment in Rochdale. Uh, and that, two years after he died, the uh, coroner held an inquest and ruled that the, uh, he had died because of the mold problem in the flat uh, and was extremely critical of the landlords and the way they had ignored mm. the problem. So this was um, in th- 2020, and uh, you know this. Yes. Awab, he, he was he was two years old. That, yes, I, I forget exactly how young, but he was no. very he was very young. Um, so uh, the uh, this was a very important decision by the coroner because previously, uh, where there have been deaths or serious illness caused by mould, this has largely been brushed under the carpet and ignored by. Uh, various housing bodies but now they can't do that Uh, and the government got very interested in this and have introduced legislation into parliament which they have called awab's law which i'm very cross about because i don't think the legislation is very good i think it's a bit of an insult Mm. to, to to his memory to be quite honest but um at least, at least the problem was recognised, and then the minister Michael Gove went to visit Rochdale, so they, they're recognising this. But there are still thousands and thousands of people throughout the UK in social housing, private landlorded property, and even surprisingly in relatively well-off middle-class property who are suffering ill health as a result of mould, uh, and the problem is not being uh, sufficiently well tackled uh, and, and that's it's of great concern because very often the landlords tend to blame the occupants they say oh well it's because they 
drying all their clothes, yeah. they're not opening the windows. It's always about blaming the tenants. Whereas in most cases, the problems are due to the way in which the, the buildings are actually constructed. Yeah, and, that's and, it. Uh, so that that's what I'm very active trying to support different people, you know, getting this message across that we need to change the way in which buildings are being, and particularly the way in which they're being renovated uh, or retrofitted, as it's often said. Um, the solution that a short-term solution to a problem isn't that education is needed not just for the tenant but for the landlord too, who's actually doing the retrofit. Because it sense sometimes the, the problem is landlords think they can paint over the situation. And then a tenant moves out and a new tenant comes in. And then over time, the same problem recurs. So yeah. th- well, th- there, needs to be, uh, uh, there needs to be education and um, an element of regulation of inspection of these properties. Yeah, yeah. well, first of all, the education thing, uh, never mind the tenants. In many cases, I'm surprised how well informed tenants are when I meet them. The the problem is with the, the housing professionals. Hmm. So I, I put together a proposal for a training package for the Charles Institute of Housing and they told me that they wouldn't be interested in running it because they wouldn't get any takers. Yeah. The, the housing professionals themselves would not be willing to spend money on learning how to deal with these problems properly. And I, I could give you many other examples like that. Um, environmental health officers are not well informed either. Yeah. So we're, we have plenty of knowledge and expertise, and this is actually a relatively simple problem to deal with. But they just tend to they use the wrong materials. So buildings are being retrofitted with plastic materials and finished with plastic materials, which don't allow the buildings to breathe. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, I, one of the things I've written about in my latest book, which came as a bit of a surprise to me as I discovered in the in the Old Testament in the Bible that Moses had actually given instructions to people on how to deal with mold in houses so that's a very long time ago and yet <laughs> we've still got housing professionals now that actually don't understand the problem so so for the benefit of the listener what is a yeah. health what is a healthy home well in uh, the uh, essential thing that you have to be concerned about with a healthy home is what's called indoor air quality. Increasingly, buildings are being built and renovated with chemical materials, and these chemicals uh, off-gas in the, the building and can cause a range of serious health problems. Some of the most uh, worrying uh, are flame retardants, for instance. Flame retardants are widely used in buildings and in the insulation materials which are used. So uh, they're dry lining the insides of flats with with, uh, what I regard as flammable, toxic, hazardous materials, which they shouldn't be doing. Uh, And that's very commonplace. So uh, one of the ways to create a healthy building is to use natural materials and to allow buildings to breathe and also to have good good ventilation. Most of the time, the ventilation in, in these buildings is poor as well. Ventilation seems to be a key element. And within the housing stock that we have in this country, people tend to think an air break is sufficient. Where in, in the times we're living in, and bearing in mind the, the the issues you have raised already, shouldn't things like extractors and, and dehumidifiers be part and parcel of the solution? 
Yeah, well, we would automatically install uh, extract fans, which also include uh, uh, humidistats. Mm -hmm. So as the humidity in the, in the apartment or the house rises, then the, this automatically comes on. But the, pro the problem is that we're talking about a lot of people here who are in what, what's known as fuel poverty. They can't really afford to heat their houses because the heating bills are far too high. Uh, and uh, also, um, people are worried that if they open the windows or have too much ventilation, that they're going to lose the heat. Mm. So, you know, you've got all of these things. You need to have good quality heating. You have to have good ventilation. But you also have to have the right kind of materials. And we increasingly are using materials which are known as hygroscopic. So these are materials that can actually absorb and control humidity in inside the house. And that can solve the problem almost overnight. I mean, it's quite remarkable how much difference it makes. But those are not the materials which the conventional housing managers put in because they just rely on white van men and, and uh, you know, conventional building companies who are as ignorant as anybody else about these issues. But is, isn't, isn't that the problem that the local authorities face because the, the white van man is not going to charge them? Because it's, it's a financial thing. It's a money thing for local authorities. What, what, how, do they, how do they get around the economics from a, from a local authority or even from a, from a buy-to-let landlord's perspective? Because yeah. that is a, as much as it, it's, it's it, you know, they need to do it, but why they're not doing it because affordability isn't there. So what's the solution around that? How big of a well, difference I, I, is it? I, I caught the end of your interview with mm. Keith Baker, um, who is a really excellent guy in this mm. field, and he was talking about uh, local energy agencies, and that's what we need. We need to set up local, lots and lots of local energy agencies which get proper technical support and technical training so that they know how to deal with these issues. Uh, there are one or two around, but they're very, very few and far between. And a lot of the energy agencies are mainly obsessed with sticking solar panels on people's roofs, which mm -hmm. is not an answer. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas what they should be focusing on is putting in natural, breathable insulation. So there's an, an organization called People Powered Retrofit in Manchester, for instance, and they, they, that's what they do. But there, there aren't that many of these organizations, and, and, and they obviously need to represent people right across the community as well, because uh, that, that's, that's a key part of this. So, you, you know, we have the expertise, we have the knowledge, we know what needs to be done. It's just that the system and the government are turning a blind eye to it. I, I mean, another example I can give you is over the summer, following the, the case, uh, the Rochdale case, the, the government set up a, a group of so-called experts to produce dampness uh, mold guidance. And I only got to hear about this by chance, but I contacted them and I got to see the first draft, which was incredibly bad. I have to say the civil servants working on it did make some changes as a result of my criticisms, but they didn't go far enough. So the guidance which is being issued by government is just not good enough. And and we, we really have to change that. Maybe we have to wait for a new, more enlightened government to be in place in order to, to get that done. Finally, Tom, where can I, as, as, as a layman, where can I go? Where can I access this information that you mentioned about a healthy home? And and, oh, you and you said that, you know, the solutions are fairly simple. How do I access that information? 
Well, you, you could buy a copy of my book. <laughs> so, sorry to be cheeky and promote my own book, but I've, I've published a book called Natural Building Techniques. It's published by Crowwood Press, and that has got a whole lot of information about the more progressive, enlightened, environmentally friendly materials which, which can be used in buildings. And there are plenty of buildings being built, but they tend to be one-off. They're not, it's not being adopted by the... Uh, by the social housing people because they still seem to think that they have to use these toxic, flammable, what I call Grenfell-type materials. That's yeah. what they're still putting into buildings, and we've got to stop that. But, of course, the Grenfell report still hasn't been published, and uh, that when that comes out, maybe that will have some effect. But uh, no, buy a copy of my book. That's that's the simple There you go. Answer. Fantastic. Thank, right. Tell Mooley, thank you so much for taking time thank out you. for us. I wish okay. you a good evening and a weekend ahead. Peace be with you. Yeah. Okay, peace be with you. Bye. Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. You know, my question, I think I'll, maybe we can ask some of our other guests as well. So I've lived in, in a few, well, two, two three countries now. Mm-hmm. I've never seen this problem as severe and as much as here. There's a reason for that. So it's the weather? No. Look, after, from, after, from, look what? from Germany point of view, I can I know the comparison yeah, yeah. in Germany. See, in Germany, everything was rebuilt. Everything was taken down. After Second World War, they demolished everything mm-hmm. and rebuilt everything. I mean, to, to the extent that even now, if you go to the outskirts of all the major cities, some yeah. of the old buildings are being demolished and new ones are being put up. In UK, whatever was damaged was repaired. Was fixed. Yeah. It wasn't... Mm. It wasn't built from scratch and then you have to also remember a lot of these tower blocks they were built and then central heating came afterwards so you see if you go to if you go into a lot of flats you'll see boxes at the bottom Hmm. where normally a skirting is Mm -hmm. so because they were concrete they were hard to to, so they just laid pipes over Hmm. the concrete and the heating came after the building the building didn't have adequate ventilation to accommodate for the central heating, for the for the for the moisture for it to get created. So you'll see loads of buildings where the black mold, mm-hmm, the condensation, mm-hmm. which a lot of landlords tend to blame the tenants for, well, as Tom said, that it's you're you're, you're drying your clothes in, mm. inside and da da da. There is an element of truth there, but it's not the reason. Mm. It's not the wholehearted reason. The the fact is that I should be able to dry my home, my clothes in a flat because there is no other way I can dry the clothes. Yeah. So there needs to be adequate ventilation. There needs to be the likes of the air filters and the dehumidifiers, which sh- which should come on automatically by sensors yeah. because it senses that the, 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 the air within the premises is not adequate. None of that happens. All of this is a choice. Landlords, responsible landlords, do this. Who feel that they have a responsibility towards yeah. the tenant. But people who just look at the well, bottom line... Not, not enough of those, I'm guessing, because everybody wants to... No, no, you'd be surprised. Most of them. You'd be surprised there's a, there is a very, very huge amount of landlords who are very responsible. Mm. But yes, there is that percentage who are terrible and the media highlights them. Mm. But the reason I ask... Uh, Dr. Baker, the question of public and private sector regulation, because at the moment, local authorities do not have to adhere to the regulation that the private sector does. Why? 
Because they're public sector. Okay. There needs to be the same regulation across the board mm. on all property. There needs to be fire doors. There needs to be fire extinguishers. There need to be fire blankets. There need to be um, radiators which have got thermostats on them. Mm. There needs to be a gas safety check every year. There needs to be an electrical um, uh, uh, certification that shows that your property is wired up correctly. Mm. There needs to be, well, there already is an EPC, which is an energy performance certificate. There needs to be hardwired smoke alarms, not battery-operated ones. Yeah. Because what's the first thing that people do <laughs> when the they take the battery out? I'm sure all, <laughs> a listener out there thinking, oh, I did that. Hardwired. Yeah. Because... Because it, it, you know, Grenfell and so many incidences have happened because of fire. Because, oh, the the, the smoke alarm wasn't working. Mm. Because we've taken the battery out. Hardwired, carbon monoxide detectors. If you have a house, you've got a central heating boiler, you must have a detector which says if there's, God forbid, if there is a leak from your boiler. Carbon monoxide. Mm. Things like... The basic of the things, it costs five pound mm. to buy one to and, and put it next to the boiler because it will detect it, it will detect if there's is if there's any uh, uh, you know leakages of carbon monoxide. There are so many different things that that can be done, mm. and this is where I come back to to the to, to education, education that you know landlords need to be educated, but all but landlords need to from my point of view i think landlords need to prove that they are worthy of being landlords just because you can afford to buy a property to rent out yeah. is not is not enough for you to become one you must do a uh, at the moment there is uh, um, certain courses that local authorities run um, and they're called uh, um, accredited landlords i think that shouldn't be a choice i think every single human being who mm. wants to be a landlord should do a course get a certificate be examined, and then their property needs to be examined if they have adhered to these regulations before they become a landlord. That's a lot of closed properties after that, I'm telling you that. Agreed. Unf unfortunately. But, but, but yeah, of there course. needs to no, be done I, I because it's about, it's, about the, 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 it's about health. It's about the well-being of kids and, and, and the elderly and the disabled as well. Our next guest for today is a lecturer in environmental design at the University of Sheffield. Sally Shazad is with us online. Assalamu peace upon you. Welcome to the Draft Time Show, Sally. Thank you very much and uh, good evening to everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, Dr. Sally, tell us a little bit about when I mean, we've been speaking about uh, retrofit housing and what needs to be done, what it includes and whatnot. For the benefit of our listeners, what, what is retrofit housing? A very good question, because uh, there is often a confusion between like uh, moving the walls inside a building or actual retrofit. Uh, so first of all, it may worth pointing out that the majority of the building stock are already built. Uh, and uh, it's kind of like a crime to actually demolish and rebuild something that is already there. Mm -hmm. So the best way to approach it is to fix the problem. And so mainly fixing the existing buildings. And um, to call it retrofit, it needs to have an improvement to the performance of the building. Uh, perhaps the easiest way to recognize that is when the energy bills become lower. 
so the running cost of the building becomes lower and we don't have to pay as much every month for the energy. Uh, so to improve, for example, the energy performance of the building, uh, the thermal performance needs to be improved so that the temperature inside the room that we are heating the room, for example, in winter, uh, maintains within the building and we don't lose it. For example, if there is no insulation, we are going to lose it. Therefore, we are going to pay more for the energy bills to heat the building. But also, the same applies to lighting, like increasing how much we, are, we can actually use the daylight rather than artificial lighting, turning on the light in the building. So improving how much uh, natural light is receiving uh, in the building or natural ventilation. And so if we can open the windows and allow that, um, uh, which is usually the case at the moment in um, housing in the UK. So this basically is much cheaper and much more in, uh, environment friendly um, for the um, um, country um, rather than just um, demolishing and rebuild. So some people have this idea that that's cheaper and easier, actually no. And um, although it's difficult sometimes to recognize what problems the building may have to fix them, but remember, a new building will face problems as well. It's not like it won't have any problems. Um, um, can I point out um, an important part in retrofit, just to end please. it there? Uh, we usually teach a fabric-first approach, and this is key in retrofit, meaning uh, the very first point is to understand what is wrong with the building and problems within the building and fix them. For example, if you have a hole in the wall, no matter how many solar panels you install, that problem is going to take an awful lot of energy. So first, fixing the building and then maybe improving the mechanical system, like if the boiler is changing, change it then so that first you have uh, reduced the amount of energy needed and then mechanical uh, systems. And the very last bit is, um, for example, solar panels or um, uh, renewable energy sources, basically, so that you only add as much as is really needed after the building is fixed. I ended here. Dr. Dr. Saad, the problem at the moment um, I agree with you, but isn't the challenge that a lot of these large buildings which have been there forever, and as you so rightly say, they're already built, but some of the old buildings, especially from a local authority point of view, where a lot of social housing is resident, the, 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 the built, the construction of these blocks are old concrete, which... Are even, are even those properties um, able to benefit from the retrofit? A very good question. And uh, first of all, the structure of the building, the building needs to be sound. So if there is um, significant problems with the structure, then it can't be saved. Hmm. But most of these uh, concrete buildings, hopefully not the schools that are facing problems, but if uh, the structure um, is concrete, it's uh, designed to last uh, sometimes even a hundred years or more. So 
So actually, we encourage our students not to use concrete anymore and just limit it to as much as possible. However, if concrete is already used in a building, it can last quite a very long period. Uh, it doesn't need too much maintenance. And also, it can be used as part of the passive design of the building, say, enhancing the you know, you don't need as much heating in the building because it works like a heating storage in the building. So these are the benefits um, if the concrete is already embedded in the building, if they, they are used well. So as part of the retrofit, it needs to become part of the strategies. Uh, so it's important to um, acknowledge what are the potentials of that existing building and to embrace that and bring it as part of that retrofit if it makes sense and um, I'm aware that many of um, uh, the social housing need improvement and uh, for example we did work with uh, South Yorkshire Housing Association and they were very much keen on environmental um, uh, friendliness of their buildings, their occupants and how to improve their housing stocks and it's wonderful to work and uh, join in with um, uh, such um, uh, social housing, basically. Dr. Shazad, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, 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 the environmental aspect of, of housing. But isn't the challenge at the moment from a, from a broader perspective and um, from, from the tenant's point of view, from the resident of the house who's suffering um, because of poor housing, that their landlords, be it private or, 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 um, or public sector, the main challenge that they all quote is finance, is economics. Does retrofit tackle that issue? Is it, you said earlier that it's cheaper or there is an element of cost saving. Is it enough of a cost saving for social uh, and public and private sector landlords or, or, or associations to 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 change the way they think um, that's a very good question and so we all know that as soon as we touch the building is expensive that's anything right. to do with the building is so expensive and it is understandable so the cheaper that i mentioned is in comparison to um, demolition, demolition a new yeah. build so that's a, so some people think that's better and cheaper no actually Fixing the building is way cheaper than demolishing the existing one and building something new. Um, so that is cheaper. And also, there are some government schemes that um, if anybody Googles it, they can find this uh, grant for retrofit. And after the retrofit is done, perhaps uh, for um, uh, solar panels and renewable energy systems. So there are possibilities of that that they can tap into. Uh, it may not be enough, and it is very expensive. Um, the, the good news is, if retrofit is done, if everybody can benefit from it. Uh, for example, the occupant can feel much more comfortable, their health can improve, and also um, uh, the running cost of the building will be much more reduced. So although retrofit initially will cost a lot of money to fix the building, um, the running cost of the building will be reduced and it will be a payback to the money that has been initially spent. So, yes, it does need that money initially, and I appreciate it's quite expensive, but the running cost of the building and the energy bills will be reduced. 
Now, finally, Dr. Uh, Dr. Sally, poor housing is related to poverty. There's no question of that. And the solutions that you have described in respect of retrofit are long-term solutions. Is there a short-term remedy for someone who is suffering from poor, for, 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 uh, suffering from poor housing? Um, sometimes when our students are, uh, for example, designing retrofit projects, we say, what if the client, because we do have live projects and we encourage that, uh, so if um, you can even contact us and uh, become part of our live projects and our students can design basically um, uh, the housing. So what it means is if the client receives the money in bits and pieces rather than one big chunk of money, sometimes our students design so that it comes into stages. So what is the main priority of fixing the building? Uh, and then if, uh, and at that stage, end of that stage, building is completely possible to live in it and use it. But if they had more money coming in, say, a year later, then what is the next thing they can do? And after that stage, the building is, again, usable. And also making sure that people don't need to leave the building. Maybe they can move around the building using some of the rooms and not the others and still use it. So, um, yes, uh, there are ways in which if you get the proper consultant on it, that you can gradually fix the building rather than in one go if their finances are uh, quite uh, difficult to come by. Wonderful. Dr. Salih Shazad, thank you so much for taking time out and coming on to the show at Drive Time. Um, I wish you a fantastic evening ahead and, a, and an even better weekend. Peace be with you. Thank you very much uh, for you and the listeners as well. Thank, thank you. you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Don't forget, we're asking you a question about the second topic for today. Are you confident talking to people about your faith? Go to Voice of Islam UK on Instagram and cast a vote or leave us a comment. Brother Raza. Brother Kim. Housing. Homes. Yes. Islam is a religion which is a way of life. It's not just a faith. It is a way of life. Amen. Where does housing fit into it? So I think housing it it predates Islam as well, mm. uh, in my opinion. Um, so from what what I've uh, come to know is that this was one of the basic requirements that Prophet Adam, who we believe to be the first prophet ever to be sent by God, um, it the was first very, prophet. Uh, the first prophet, not yeah, first man, exactly. uh, first prophet. It was a very you know basic basic teaching, uh, nothing related to big time spirituality or 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 any kind of d- complex uh, theological issues but it was it was basic things like food and shelter and uh, and 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 to cover up and to live uh, a, some sort of moral life and then if you keep going uh, through the history of Islam i think it was in the in the lifetime of the rightly guided caliphs that came afterwards that it it became basically the responsibility of the state, the responsibility of the ruler at that time. Uh, we've spoken about Caliph Omar. May Allah be pleased with him so many times here as well. About the welfare of the people, that became the responsibility of the state. So to make sure that everybody has a dignified roof over their head where they don't have these issues where you know the things that we've just spoken about, 
And that ultimately falls on to the shoulders of, of the government and those who are in charge of, uh, of, uh, of, of the constituents or of the people who, who live in that country. However, when it comes to how much and where and what and the details of it, again, you want to make sure that you do your utmost. Because there's a narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which it says that every person in their respective fields and circles is responsible for the people that are under them. So if there is a king, he's responsible for his uh, his, subjects. his subjects. If there's a father, he's responsible for his family. Children, if yeah. there's a mother, she's responsible for the house and for the children and for the running. So in in that context as well, I mean, if it's private or if it's rented or if it's if it's uh, commercial, it doesn't really matter. The responsibility comes down to those people who are in charge. If you are renting out something, again, you can come at this from so many different angles. Um, one thing that we share with other religions as well isn't isn't that what like if you desire something for you yeah I, I was just you know, thinking exactly that wish for your brother what you we wish what you, what what you, you want for yourself yeah exactly so if and, and this also comes down to justice yeah you see justice is important and with all the different relationships you've just explained the responsibilities of in the in this equation it is the responsibility of the landlord be it private be it public whatever term you want to use if you are the owner of a property it is your responsibility to make sure that the people who are going to occupy it are living in good standards in good housing that property is safe in respect of any dangers because remember most housing in this country is built for families so there will be children there will be elderly people and it is the responsibility of the landlord to make sure that the property that they rent out, again, I'll keep on saying it, be it public sector, be it local authority, be it housing association, be it a private sector landlord, they all have a collective responsibility to make sure that the properties you provide to other people is of good, safe standard. Our last guest for today is uh, Kate Dussel-Incourt. She's a writer and editor interested in the environment, sustainable building and energy. Good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show, Kate. Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much for joining us today. Now, um, you have written quite extensively on the link between housing and health. We've spoken about this with our previous guests uh, briefly as well. But I want to ask you if you can tell us about or how different features of home construction, how they have an impact on the health negatively and what, what we can do to improve that. Yeah, absolutely. I've listened to some of your program and, and uh, your guests have, have covered it quite well already. But um, I would say that the main factors for a healthy home is, is a home you can afford to keep warm and a home that you can ventilate well. And ideally, also a home that is quiet, mm. um, and a good and a good fabric that is well insulated and airtight will also help keep the home quiet, so you can sleep and be peaceful. Um, and, but obviously, to keep a home warm, it needs to be well constructed. But also, the people living in it um, need to be able to afford afford the energy. Mm. Um, and what I've looked at is is. I mean, with existing homes, it's quite difficult to make them really cheap, 
to to heat but with new homes um you can actually build a new home that needs um very little uh heating but that that's um that's quite difficult to do it's possible to do with an old home but with a new home you can do that we just don't (laughs) but that that's the problem isn't it kate you've hit the nail on the head they've built them they could have built them in much better way but they didn't because of costing and finance yes i mean that's an it's an interesting one that because it's um it's a bit of a what you might call a false economy because we're spending less as a country on housing and then we're just having to pay in terms of people being sick people needing the doctor people missing work people missing school Hmm. Um, and so in the end it just costs the country just as much in the end so what i would like to see is for us to invest properly and understand the value of good housing um, which goes beyond just what you can sell the bricks and mortar for, but actually um, that it's it's an investment to make the country better, the same as building a new railway or um, you know anything else we might do together as a country. So take the issue away from politicians and give it to people who are qualified to well, think yes. to think long to think long term irrespective exactly. of who comes into power exactly i mean we built the national health service because we understood it would you know it would it would help everybody and it would enable us all to to succeed and and live better lives and it's the same with building good houses and we just don't we don't see it in the same way and i think we should yeah, I agree. I think housing, education, and health—they should have nothing to do with politicians. Yes, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> they're all—they're all just fundamental, aren't they? The, to exactly. a decent life. It is. It is. Kate, unfortunately, that's all we have time for. But thank you so much for for joining us today. It was no, great to have well, you. Well, it, it, it's a pleasure to be on, albeit briefly. So thank, thank you. you very much. Thank, thank you, you so much. Appreciate it. Peace, Goodbye. Peace be on you. That's from us um, for the first half of the program, which was about housing and the impact on health that it has. And I think we've come to the conclusion that the responsibility lies on both sides, primarily with the landlord. Yes, or, primarily be- because they they do have the finances. Yes. Um, they, you know... Don't look for short-term solutions. Look for long-term solutions. They will, will save you money. That, that I think what Kate said at the end, that probably describes it best. Yeah. Now, thank you very much to all of our guests who joined us for this part of the program, for this half of the, uh, the show. We're going to move on and uh, speak about the second topic in just a little bit after the 5 o'clock news. You're listening to The Draft Time Show today with myself, Raza and Yum. Don't forget the question that we're asking you about the second co- uh, topic for today is, are you confident talking to people about your faith? You're listening to The Draft Time Show today with myself, Raza and Kiyum. Don't forget, we'll be back after that. Allah. Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum, peace upon you, and welcome back to the Draft Home Show here on the Voice of Islam today with myself, Razan Badakiyum. In this part of the program, we are going to talk about the MDM Muslim community and how it has uh, been propagating the message of Islam Ahmadiyyat to the corners of the earth. Um, 
And we want to start off at the very, very beginning. The Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community on whom be peace, he first proclaimed to be a prophet and a messenger of God, the Promised Messiah, in a small township, well, it's not even a township, it's a small village by the name of Qadian, which is in the Punjab in India. And at that time, God revealed to him the following revelation. I shall cause the message to reach the corners of the earth. And within a short period of time, which again, in the grand scheme of things, if you look at what, 130 years, something yep. like that. Around. We're now witnessing to the divine or we're being witness to the divine message being propagated, not only on the ground through literature, but from the sky via satellite, MTA, international, the 24 hour channel, a TV channel of the community, Voice of Islam. Um, and with limited resources, a small and relatively poor community, even today, has been able to harness contemporary cutting-edge technology to spread the message of the Promised Messiah on whom be peace. And his revelation, this revelation, I shall cause that message to reach the corners of the earth, is is being witnessed with, with a new glory, with a new fulfillment. And, I mean, I think I have been so fortunate, Brother Kim, you even more so, to witness certain milestones within within the history of the community isn't it yes i mean uh you go back to <laughs> what how many decades can i say it now uh five <laughs> can't be a friday without a job wisdom <laughs> wisdom yeah. wisdom. Yes. wisdom yeah so five decades five decades if you Consider that beard of yours. I'll add five more. <laughs> you see, I, I the advantage, the advantage of keeping a beard keep, white of of the five decades. <laughs> yeah, I've 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 had the the pleasure and the honor, and I've been blessed. I've you know from from my age point of view, uh, the third caliph of the Amliya Muslim community, uh, fourth and fifth, and then you know sometimes I when I talk to I I, I when I'm talking to mum and dad. And when mom says, yes, you know, when, you know, walking around and playing around in, in Rabwa in those days, um, the second caliph. And when she talks about when she was in Qadian, you just mentioned, yeah. um, and she talks of her younger days and, and talking about the second caliph of the Amdi Muslim community. Yes, age, wisdom. There are so many things that we experience that you, younger generation, will only ever talk about. Thank you very much for calling me the younger generation. <laughs> I really, really appreciate that. <laughs> I know, I know, you needed, I needed, you needed a boost. <laughs> you made my day today. Thank you so much. Now, but till I mean, the question is now that this this message um, is going to spread. No doubt about that. I mean, when it comes to different, when we look at you know, prophecies or or, or, or promises that have been made by God Almighty to his messengers or uh, you find those in those divine scriptures and divine books. The thing is, they will be fulfilled. There's no question about that, right? So the question that we have to ask ourselves is though, how much of that are we going to benefit from? What role are we going to play in that? Um, this is a promise this is this is a connection between God and his messenger and God does not waste his messengers in the sense that making uh, false prophecies or prophecies that don't 
get fulfilled. We've been seeing it over the last hundred plus years. Uh, it has been done already, but until and uh, unless it hasn't reached everyone, our efforts should never stop. And this is something that the the caliphs of the Promised Messiah, on whom be peace, that they have constantly reminded members of the community about it. Last month, we had the annual convention of the Auxiliary Youth Organization, the Khudam al which was held uh, here in, in, in Kingsley in Hampshire. And it was a three-day event full of unity. You had academics, you had sports with the main objective to improve uh, the spirituality of, of these youngsters. And the current caliph, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmad, may Allah strengthen, strengthen his hand, he graced the, the this, this convention on the final day to formally conclude the event. And usually what he does is there's an address at the end, in which he said that he would take benefit from the saying of the second caliph, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed, who was the founder of that auxiliary youth organization. And what he did was, he explained that um, communities and nations, they have the potential to live on and, and, and thrive for centuries. In case of the community, the Ahmadi youth, they must sincerely long to fulfill their obligations to ensure that the community's preservation and everlasting success is guaranteed through their efforts, as well as the promise of God Almighty that exists anyways. And this requires generation upon generation of these youngsters who are members of the community to act on the true teachings of um, their founder, to act on the true teachings of the community, and mainly to strive to convey that message to all parts of the world. This is something that is not just within this community, so someone who doesn't know about it might you know, hear it. And it sound, sounds maybe a bit strange, but this has been the way of, of, of pretty much every um, religious, faith-based community. When I went to Africa, for example, you had the Jehovah's Witnesses, you had the Mormons, and they go out as well, in, I mean, masses. And you have these youngsters who've come from different parts of the world. They go into door, from door to door and explaining and, and preaching their, their cause and their message. However, the difference in our belief and our uh, from our perspective is that um, Islam is the ultimate, the final religion. It's the final faith. It's the, it's a complete faith, uh, and it's a universal faith. So it appeals to the rationale. It, it appeals to the nature of every single person around the globe, and that is exactly something that I have witnessed myself. That members of the community witness on a, on a on a daily basis. You can go to any country in the world there will be a branch of the community you get to see it face to face in action live at the annual convention of the Amdi Muslim community here in the UK which is an international gathering and we've reported on that we've spoken on that we have had our broadcast live from the Hampshire countryside during those days where we try to bring you just you know a flavor a glimpse of that international character. So you have people from every continent of the world, um, a lot of countries, a lot of different faces, but all, again, united under one. And during that address um, that I have been uh, mentioning, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, he said that unquestionably, unquestionably every sincere khadim, meaning someone who is part of that auxiliary organization, so they're from 15 to 40 years of age. 
So every sincere Khadim in this era must endeavor to fulfill the grand mission of bringing mankind towards belief in the promised Messiah. Indeed, until the end of times, generations after generations of Ahmadis should consider this their foremost objective. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we want the world to know who we are? Um, because we have the answer to what they've been looking for for some time. Well said. The Messiah has come. Indeed. And that's the message that... So there's nothing that we are gaining out of it. So there's no, no personal benefit for us. The benefit... Well, is, the ben- th- there is a benefit. Of course. Our benefit is that we are doing the work which we are supposed to do. Mm. It's, it's the core responsibility of who we are, is what we believe. And if I know believing in the Messiah will lead me to the right path, then why would I not want everybody else to join me in walking down that path? In the, in, yeah, exactly. So, again, it's twofold, but as you rightly mentioned, there is a benefit for, for us as well, though not in worldly terms, but you know, purely spiritual. And, and uh, just to clarify, when I talk about the message, it's the same message that was brought to the world 1400 years ago. Yes that there is only one God and the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is a messenger of God. And there is a... And and as Brother Raza said, it's the universality of that Prophet which no other Prophet has. All other Prophets before him have always come to a certain people at a certain time for a specific period. Whereas the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has been referred to as he is mercy to mankind. Mankind is universal. It means every single human being, animal, you name it, on earth. And the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who was an embodiment of the Holy Quran. And the Holy Quran is the word of God Almighty. So the message of God Almighty is to be spread to every single human being. Now, that message of a time deteriorated, like all faiths, like if you look at the history of all of the religions, all beliefs, over time it got diluted, traditions, customs, innovations, um, the meaning of the faiths disappeared. And the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and messengers of all other religions have spoken and the scriptures have written that there will come a man who will unite everybody and that one person will be the promised messiah this is not something that we as the Abdi muslim community we are not the only ones who talk about this this is something that every single person who believes in god who believes in a certain religion they know that they are waiting for the messiah and all what we're saying is that the messiah has come and that is the message which needs to reach the corners of the earth. So in the second caliph, the founder of that auxiliary organization that we were just uh, discussing and talking about, he said that striving in the way of God is not just a mere expression. In fact, it is our duty to save mankind. Our mission is to stand against the rising tide 
of atheism and work tirelessly until the day all traces of godlessness are eliminated from the world and Islam Ahmadiyya prevails. So His Holiness, the current Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he said in his address that we must be prepared to make enormous sacrifices for the sake of our faith and our determination and efforts to spread the message of Islam must never waver. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that God promised him that this, uh, that his community and the religion of Islam would last till the end of times. The Caliph said that we must be highly motivated and determined to the cause of preaching. Now all of this, again, keep in mind that we are not going to achieve this by any kind of weapons, by any kind of you know force or any kind of... Um, uh, compulsion no all of this is going to be through prayers it's also going to be through the efforts that we uh, in our humble means and um, that are at our disposal can do but to 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 make sure that we that this message reaches every single person that is i think this the primary goal of every single member of our community how do we do that there's different ways to that. It is, and and I think it's important to to emphasize, the Messiah is not going to come and 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 divide, is not going to come and encourage um, competition between one faith and the other. No. And if one was to apply rationality and logic here, every single faith we know is waiting for the Messiah. So surely there's not going to be a Messiah for every single religion, and then the Messiah will kind of fight each other. Hmm. It doesn't make sense, because if one was to look at the signs of the coming of the Messiah. They're exactly the same in all the faiths. Me and Brother Raza did a show some time ago where we looked at the scriptures of all faiths and then we looked at the signs that would be of the coming of the Messiah and all the faiths say the same thing. And it would only make sense that a Messiah will come to unify everyone, not to fight each other. So, you know, that's the message we're taking that the Messiah has come and he's come to unify everyone with peace, not with fighting, not with wars, not with violence, but with knowledge, with education, with belief, and with reward. That is the message that we are talking about that will be reaching the corners of the earth. And it's a message of hope. Yes. And I think, look, when we talk about the times that we're going through, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. With all the loom and gloom that... uh, that is around us, right? It's it's only right that we still have a message of hope. We still have a message of positivity from our Creator. Because who believes in, who wants to believe in a God that created His creation, gave them everything that they needed, but left them and gave them no hope whatsoever? It's, okay, here you go, go fight and uh, do whatever you want to do, create disorder in the earth. And uh, have a go at each other. I'm, I'm not going to be part of this. We don't believe in that, do mm. we? No. In fact, if one was to go back and, and make uh, look at the reference to today's Friday sermon by the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah, His Holiness Azamizam Asuram, and may Allah strengthen his hand, he talked about the weapon of prayer. That's the only weapon that will work. Yeah. He specified when you prostrate, you will you dedicate one whole prostration for the welfare of the world. That is the weapon we are talking about. The weapon is prayer. Again, prayer because we know 
Who are we praying to? We're praying to God Almighty, who's a creator. And then we pray to him for the safety of, we're not saying safety of the Muslims. He didn't say that. He didn't say safety of the Jews. He didn't say safety of the world because the message of Islam is a universal religion. It is submitting to God Almighty with peace. And that's the message that we are talking about, which needs to reach the corners of the earth. And, you know, we are sitting on a radio station here, yeah. which reaches the corner, which we hope and pray that will get to a point where we are reaching the corners of the earth, which we technically do because we're on internet and we're on app. So I would like to think we do, but we will eventually. But then of if we look we at the, if we look uh, at uh, Muslim uh, television, Ahmadiyya, yeah. the television network, which is free and it is reaching the corners of the earth. Yeah. There are so many examples one can give that we already are an established um, association in, in more than, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, 213 independent countries and independent territories. Yes. So we already have reached the world where we are trying our best to do our duty of relaying the message that the promised Messiah has come. Now, coming back to this convention of the youth organization, His Holiness addressed the gathered there and he said that as Ahmadi youth, you must continue to reflect and analyze your state and try to better your morals so that your relationship with Allah develops to the extent that you are included among the truthful and righteous. And then His Holiness, he took a quite a historical and memorable moment. Um, he said that the second caliph also took a pledge from the members of that auxiliary organization. And on that occasion, all those who were present at that uh, gathering, at that convention, they stood up and they repeated the words of the pledge with a firm desire to fulfill it. And this was the moment that it happened, and this is what His Holiness said. Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lahu wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu. I bear witness that there is an unworthy of worship Accept Allah. Allah. He is one. He is one. And has no partner. And, has no partner. and I bear witness, I bear witness that, Muhammad that Muhammad is a servant, is a servant and, messenger. and messenger. I swear by Allah, I swear by Allah and, proclaim and proclaim that uh, that I will always endeavor, endeavor to convey and propagate, and propagate the teachings of Islam, Islam Ahmadiyyat, and the blessed name, the blessed name of, the Holy Prophet, of the Holy Prophet to the corners of earth until my dying breath. And for the sake of fulfilling this most sacred obligation, I shall forever keep, shall forever keep my, life my life devoted, devoted to, the surface of, to the service of Allah, the, of Allah, the, Almighty, the Almighty, and His Messenger, and his messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
I shall give, I shall give every possible sacrifice. I shall give every no matter how heavy, its burden, in order for the blessed flag of Islam to be raised aloft in every nation until the end of time. I also solemnly pledge to strive with unyielding conviction to protect, to protect and strengthen, and strengthen the, institution the institution of Khilafat, of Khilafat until, until my, last breath. my last breath. And I shall always urge, shall always urge my, progeny my progeny to remain firmly attached to, firmly attached to, Khilafat, to Khilafat and to seek its blessings, seek its blessings so that, so that Khilafat Ahmadiyya may remain protected until the end of time. And so that through the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the propagation of Islam may continue until the last day. And so that the flag of the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam may be raised far higher than any other flag in this world. O God, enable us to fulfill this pledge. Allahumma amin. Allahumma amin. Allahumma amin. Now, before some of you think about, oh my God, this is betrayal against the country, because I I know people will think that yeah. and and this and that and whatnot. That flag of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. What does that stand for? It stands for justice. It stands for equality. It stands for the belief in one God. It stands for standing up for the to, for the rights of others, for those who don't have a voice to speak. And it also stands for loyalty to your nation. And Look, there we go. And and you see, the, the flag of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, isn't isn't a worldly flag. Hmm. It is it is it is a flag which is based around the faith in God Almighty. It is based around Islam being a way of life. Again, one of the reasons why I always talk about the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, being an embodiment of the Holy Quran. Because Holy Quran is a guidance. It's a book of instructions mm. from God Almighty to us to follow this instruction. Look, when you buy your 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 furniture from Ikea, what's the thing? What's, what do they always tell you to do? To open the instruction and look at the instruction. And if you follow the instruction, it will be a perfect unit of furniture. But most people tend to do what? They say, I know this. This is simple. And there's then, no way. There's no way that you can find me one person who can assemble IKEA furniture without those instructions. But most people get <laughs> oh do. Most God. people say this is easy. It's only a few screws. Until Even a frame of theirs is like. There you go. <laughs> you need an engineer for that. So, so we know, as human beings, we need to follow instructions because if we yeah. don't, things <laughs> that we build will fall. Yeah. Hence, if we look at the Holy Quran as that instruction for what it is. God assisted us as human beings 
because he sent the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, because he God said, I'm going to have mercy on you. Yes. I'm going to send you a mercy of mankind because who's going to live my word to show you how simple it is. And it is a way of life. And that's the flag that the Holy, that His Holiness is talking about. And, 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 and God didn't just stop there, did he? With the no. Holy Prophet. So 14 century goes, he, centuries ago, he didn't just stop there and said, okay, I will send you my mercy, but that will be the last of it. No, no it'll be till the end of time. It will be till the end of time. So at the head of every century, according to some narrations, God raised people who were aware of the true teachings of that faith, of that religion, to correct people here and there as much as they could um, to, to come back to the reality and to the tre- true teachings of Islam. But... In their limited capacities, these were not messengers, these were not prophets of God. But when that 14th, 14th century after the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, arrived, it was that time when he raised his Messiah, when he raised his Mahdi, when he raised the Prophet of the age, who we believe was the promised Messiah, the Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community on whom be peace. Who? Himself referred to himself as a servant yes. of the Holy Prophet. Peace yes. and blessings of Allah be upon him. Very clear. It is very, very important. Yes, very because important. people who want to cause mischief, they they will cause mischief. Yeah. And so it's very important, and we say loud and clear, that the promised Messiah, who we know is the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, on whom be peace, he referred to himself as a servant of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who was the last law-bearing prophet. And that's very important. The law that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is the is is that law which is being revived by the Promised Messiah. And so, when His Holiness speaks to these young individuals and these young men to put their faith over over their worldly lives and to to make their best to pay heed to their obligations um, to their faith. Um, knowing that you cannot rest easy until that day when the true and peaceful teachings of Islam have reached every village, town, city and nation of the world and its truth is accepted by the vast majority of people, we do say that this is not just mere talk. We have, by the grace of God Almighty, countless members within the community who do this on a regular basis. Uh, from young to old, male, female, children, you know, boys and girls, who try in their own capabilities, in their own circles, to raise awareness and to inform people that the Messiah that everybody's waiting for has already come. But then there is a specific group of people who put aside their own wishes, their own desires, choosing to give up their lives, basically, to promote that message of Islam and Ahmadiyyat to the very corners of the earth. Um, Allah blesses them and makes their task easy because if you think about the job and the responsibilities on their shoulders, it's 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 a it's like a mountain. It's huge, but somehow, in some way, every single time—not just occasionally, every single time—that they are faced with an issue, that they have a, a task or a mission assigned to them of con- of not conquering of of delivering that message to the people of a certain area or a certain country and then conquering their hearts they somehow always manage to do so you know this isn't something which is just for this isn't the first time we we refer to and we know that the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him 
was a prophet for the universe. He was a universal prophet yeah. for everyone. Yeah. So it would only make sense that when the promised Messiah comes to revive his message, mm. he also will be the Messiah for everyone, yeah. for the world, not just for the Muslims. It, it is that again, it's just the revival of the teachings and, and the religion of Islam that was brought to the earth and to the universe by the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Indeed. So we are very fortunate enough that we have a guest with us here in the studios today. And he has traveled all the way from actually I'll, I'll let him speak and uh, explain that himself. Imam Zahir Ahmed is with us on the line, originally from uh, the lovely country of Canada. But right now, Imam Zahir, as alaykum to you. First of all, welcome. Wa alaykum salam um, just, just, to, just to correct, he's not on the line. He's sitting in front of us. Yeah, I told you, he's in the studio. <laughs> I'm the old one here. <laughs> Peace be on you, brother. Good to have you with us in the, with, with us in the studio. Jazakla, it's an it's a honor and a pleasure to be here. On is all ours. So I said, um, you, originally, you are from, from Canada, born and raised, um, kind of, you know, maybe you're not born, but majority of your time you spent there. But right now, uh, not right now, okay, let's let's go back, uh, was it like 15, 10, 12, 13 years, maybe something like that, around, like, let's say, with, you know, 10, 15 years, you decided uh, like I did to 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 sacrifice your life to to dedicate your dedicate sorry not yeah. sacrifice dedicate yes to dedicate your life for that cause that we are speaking about today. Let me start off with that actually. Um, how difficult or how easy is it for someone to make that choice? What makes someone do the uh, like take that decision? Uh, you know what. <sighs> I, I'm not going to run after the world. So um, that's a very interesting <laughs> question. It's a very fully loaded question, yeah. which requires a lot of detail and discussion. But, uh, you know, the interesting thing about me is that one thing is that this was kind of chosen for me. Mm -hmm. Originally, I had not planned on going to Jamia, but God made it in such a way that I ended up in Jamia. Just for the benefit of the listener, Jamia is the institute of theology and modern languages for um, um, within the Amri Muslim community. And that's where... That's where all the imams, imams are produced. Are, are, uh, uh, they're, they're not produced they're, there. Where we study <laughs> and we they, graduate. They, where they get educated. Made, made produced. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, God Almighty made it in such a way that I just ended up there. But then the, the, here's the thing. God Almighty gave me the opportunity to be there. Yeah. The rest was up to me. What was I going to do with it? Yeah. And it's funny that you brought up all the sacrifice and everything that was involved in it because one of the very first people that I met there was actually Raza Saab. Okay. <laughs> I struggled very, very much so with uh, the Urdu language. I could speak mm. it. I understood it. But reading, writing, mm. you know, yeah. that was out of my grasp. Mm -hmm. Aside from the regular teaching, uh, you know, there were a few individuals who helped me. And Raza Saab was actually in my class. Hmm. So he was one of those peoples who I sought uh, help from. And I have respect for him because I consider him, Aww. to a sense, my teacher as well. Aww. So when he requests me to do something, sometimes it's very <laughs> difficult for me to refuse it. <laughs> such as this program right yeah. now. 
again, for the benefit of the listener, I want to clarify one point. When uh, that parents dedicate their children to the to to the institution and to, to dedicate their lives for the propagation of Islam Ahmadiyya. But when these children get to certain ages at different times, they have the choice to opt out yes. of the system. This They're is asked. not something, asked, yeah. <clears throat> this is not something, because uh, a lot of people make this allegation and again cause mischief. So it is, it is important to clarify that when they hit a certain age as adults and when they can make their own decisions, they have the option to opt out. And, and it's important to clarify that. No one is forced or compelled yes, yes. No, uh, no. or obliged to carry on this, no, not at this, all. this, uh, this service. Yes. No. It, it is a choice that all the imams make that they wish to pursue this, uh, the, the, uh, this knowledge. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, while speaking on this, um, there was a point in my uh, studies where we were asked again, do you yeah. want to continue? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Right. I believe it was during the 30-year time, 30-year mark, yeah. something like that. And at that time, I had prayed to Allah, the Almighty, right? I, You know, there were certain things going on. And I said, listen, I'm here still because you've given me the opportunity. I'm trying my best. Whatever struggles come, they come. That's life. Mm. Certain, right now I'm going through this. If this gets resolved, I'll continue. Within two weeks, the issue that was, you know, I've been waiting for it to be resolved for like months. Resolved like that. I'm like, now I can't even say anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now I got to continue. Now you got to continue. <laughs> and, and you know, the beauty of Islam, the beauty of the message that was brought to us by the Holy mm. Prophet, peace and, blessings, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is like brother just said, that is how you speak to God. You speak to God in that manner that you're talking to your best friend. You're talking to you're talking to your creator. But God says, speak to me like you would, you know, bring out the truth and that you'll make it personal, make it personal. Yes, exactly. And and I I think it's, again, important to emphasize that to to the listener that you talk to God in your language, personalize it to you. Exactly. And that's the beauty of it. Yes. And hence why, and we know that universally everyone has their own way, everyone has their own language. It isn't Arabic. It is your language. It's what you are comfortable with that you speak to God Almighty with. Now, Imam Zahir, I would like to ask you, um, we mentioned to our listeners that uh, you are now currently serving in a different country, not the country of Canada, uh, where you were brought up, where you lived most of your life. So tell us about that. Where are you right now as an imam? What are you doing there? So currently I am posted to Honduras. That's where my uh, assignment is. And Honduras, for a lot of people, if they don't know, is within North America, but within the region of Central America. So their neighboring countries are Guatemala, El Salvador, uh, Nicaragua, and... uh, um, yeah, so these these are basically the neighboring countries of it, and I guess you can say Belize would be a neighboring country as well, which is mostly the, the the South Af- uh, South American region. Uh, so it's South America is mostly uh, below Panama, okay, and this is above Panama but below Mexico, okay. right? So the Central American region. So over there, you know, uh, I've been there since 2017, wow. by the grace of Allah the Almighty, and uh, I've you know. 
there has been a lot of things that have happened uh, there is you know when you go to these countries or each country has its own issues you have to deal with of course and one of the things that uh, while i was there dealt with when you know whenever you start something new and if you have actual enthusiasm and you really want to do it you go head first into it yes sometimes you don't really take a step back try to plan it out so that's what happened with me you know i went head first into it and i started going to certain areas neighborhoods and this region isn't all that safe so i was given uh, you know after going there having a routine like going there okay every tuesday every thursday from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. 7 p.m. cuz you go there when people are uh, you go visit the houses uh, and the and the members and and other individuals when they come back from work mm. right so you, it's uh, and over there in these areas uh, in these countries nighttime is 6 yes right of course so you're already because of the safety yes element. exactly yeah. and uh, you know in the when i used to go there i used to go there either on bus or or uh, taxi <laughs> So the taxi person was like I can drop you off. I can't stay there. Yeah. You ring me and I'll come back and pick you up. Mm. So this was a routine. It had been going on for a month. After a month, it just so happened, you know, like I said, I is still the fresh zeal, the the enthusiasm. You're like, "Okay, mm. let's, you know, I want to spread the message of Islam to these people because they need it and it'll actually, you know, uh it the message of Islam actually touches the soul yes right yes. it's a very natural message mm-hmm. which you know a lot of people will accept because it's so natural right so while i was doing this a certain individual came up to me he said oh you're this person i'm like yes i'm like uh, so i in my mind i was like oh maybe he knows and he wants to learn more about islam that's my job that's my bread mm-hmm. and butter i'm mm-hmm. here to do this mm-hmm. so he's like okay you come at this time and this time i'm like yes you go to this house this house i'm like yes He's like I'm like oh do you want to have a meeting or something you know we can come I'm going to this house he's like no 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 this is a warning just to let you know we're watching you mm. and just to be careful mm. right wow so I didn't realize at that time until I spoke with the local members and uh and then my wife who was with me in in the country she spoke with another local member in a different city so at that time basically it's like okay your husband needs to stop going to that area for mm. at least a month mm. and then afterwards change it up so this was in 2017 mm. fresh i had uh i was blessed enough with a meeting with our beloved hazur right his in, holiness, in, his, his holiness. holiness in 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 2018 and i had brought up just mentioned that you know in these countries there are security issues mm. without me even going further hazur uh his holiness said that One thing that you need to do in these countries is have someone who's local with you cuz they know this country better. Mm. There shouldn't be a certain schedule for you going and coming. Mm. Cuz you know, when you're going there, you're trying to represent Islam. People see you in a different manner. They don't know that oh, if you're rich, poor, whatever, but because when we go there we're trying to portray Islam. we're trying to give the best image hmm. right the truest image and when we go there they they only see that aspect they don't know that oh you're this person and the only thing you have as a missionary in the country wherever hmm. you are hmm. is literally your clothes hmm. and the hmm. suitcase that you brought yeah right so those are the things that uh, you know hazur said that you know you need to be careful of 
So what exactly do you do then? I mean, th- this is you going to the members are already there, but when you when you arrived in 2016, uh, 17, um, and I'm sure like from the neighboring countries, you get to hear from other uh, imams as well. How do you, where do you start? So one of the biggest, um, <clears throat> I think, tasks in these countries is the re- representation or the name that Islam has been given through media. Hmm. In a lot of countries, uh, as you said, neighboring countries, we have... So e- let's not just say neighboring countries because we're speaking about Latin American countries, so we'll talk about all those Latin American countries because generally the name that is given to Islam is the same, which is portrayed by you know, Western media or, or the negative aspect. It's all about terrorism. Yeah, because as, as, one of, uh, as someone who was working in the media, told me himself, we can talk about the good things Islam is doing, but that won't sell. Hmm. Because news these days isn't about telling what's happening. It's about selling what's happening. And I was, and that was shocking to me. But this was something that, you know, this is, uh, this was something that is so true, as you said. Hmm. Uh, So one of the things that we do is we reach out to media we reach we do a lot of pr work a lot of uh, hosp- uh a lot of hospitality and a lot of charity work a lot of education now some might think that this isn't really you know preaching this isn't really telling about islam but as we mentioned as you mentioned when you know when hazur uh, when his holiness asked us to take that pledge and you know the 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 flag of islam this includes all of it. Islam it's, it's, isn't a religion from nine to five or no. in a church. It is the way of life that you're doing. The preaching is living. Yeah, and Islam is such a is a is a is a living religion. Yeah, it's breathing, and every day you have interactions. Islam is a religion that you know the teachings are for this world, mm. for the problems of this world, yeah. to lead us to a better world, so we can have more peace of mind peace in our family, peace in, in the society. And one of the things, uh, as, as Reza uh, asked me, you know, what do you do? So along with doing this work, when we tell them this is Islam, they say, oh, wow, this is so different from what we've known, what mm. we've heard. And when this does happen, some of the individuals who listen and who hear, they accept you know, one of the things uh, when I had walked into the studio, you were talking about how Islam isn't there for dividing. No. Yep. Or at least the Ahmadiyya Muslim community mm. isn't there to divide. No. Uh, I'll tell you about a recent convert back in October of last year. So uh, she's from a remote village. She had been studying Islam through Facebook and had gotten to know about Islam. She had reached out to me, and we were speaking, and, you know, I was talking to her, and we were conveying stuff, uh, philosophy of teachings of Islam. You know, it's a very difficult book to understand, fully understand. But it's the best book. It is the best book, right? And then at the same time, uh, while doing all this work, you know, I had in my mind the whole aspect of the victory of Islam. The book by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, The Promised Messiah. The five precepts mm-hmm. or the five branches written in there, you know, those are those are things that still apply today and they will continue applying. Yeah, they will, yes. Right? So while talking to her and everything, she's like, 
I've come across other Muslims. And she said that whenever I'm speaking to them, they always say they're not, they're not Muslims. They're not this. They're not that. Right? And she's like, why are they saying this? So every single time, you know, you have to explain it, that this is one of the things that this is, this is you know, there's a difference in opinion in this matter. But then let's forget about that. What is actually happening? One person is telling you in a negative manner. The other person is telling you, this is Islam. Mm. All Muslims should be together. We believe in the same Quran. We believe in the finality of the Holy Prophet, peace and He's blessings of Allah be upon him. Right? We believe that uh, the Holy Quran is the last revealed book. Right? And while speaking about this, you know, uh, she had just converted recently as well. So she's like, okay, I understand. But why do they always say this? And I said, this is something that I cannot give the answer to why they're doing it. Every person, may, maybe they haven't studied as well as you have. Maybe they've just heard what's online because they're trying to create disorder, right? So what she did next was something that really surprised me. And it's such a simple answer that she gave. She said that, why are you, responding back to this person because uh, on, on Facebook, why are you responding and why are you spreading hate? You're saying that Ahmadiyya is bad, but the Ahmadiyya that I know is complete opposite of what you're saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, they're the ones who are trying to say that Muslims should come together and they're the ones who are preaching for peace in the entire world. While you, all you've done is preach hate. You know, you have just reminded me of a conversation me and Brother Raza had just before we came on air. The conflict at the moment. Mm. His Holiness, Azimah Muslim, the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand. He spoke of justice. He spoke of peace. What, two weeks ago? Yeah. Yep. And nobody on this earth was talking and and I said to I asked Brother Raza, I said, Brother Raza, is it me? Or suddenly I am hearing the words that His Holiness spoke suddenly being spoken by people in the past few days. And Brother Raza said to me, No, it's not you. I am hearing the same words that His Holiness spoke now being said by other people. Yeah. And and that's what this lady is saying that hold on. Everybody else is talking about different things. Everybody's talking about a conflict, whereas His Holiness is talking yeah. about bringing everybody together. together yeah, yeah. <clears throat> they're still caught up in what's wrong and what exactly. What is this? What is that? Instead of thinking about, okay, this is the solution. We're we're bringing it to you on a silver platter. Do something with yes. it. So, Imam Zahir, it's very interesting to. I mean, you you mentioned one example, but. Uh, in those seven, six years that you've been there, um, going back to those who who have been part of the community for you know a bit longer, let's say three, four, five years, did, what what did that do to, to them? What what did that message, having accepted the promise of Messiah, on whom be peace, uh, being part of the community, was there any change? Do they see any change? Do they feel different? Do they talk or I mean? They must tell you, or you yeah. must see it for yourself, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I love it when you see something, mm. but I love it more so when they acknowledge it themselves. Mm. 
So one of the I have just been assigned to a new city in for the past two years, <laughs> but there was one there was few members there from before, and you know one of these members he was like I had joined the Ahmadiyya Muslim community you know I had become a member, but because there were you know it was a slow process mm. still learning right I knew about this, but then afterwards when I had moved there and we started doing. regular friday prayers regular uh meeting in person mm. you know the we maintain that that connection that closeness through virtual meetings and mm. you know zoom classes and all this stuff as is the norm of the world yeah. <laughs> right nowadays uh but when we started having these so he himself said that you know before i felt that you know i i had converted but i didn't feel that i was part of the community i didn't feel that i was practicing islam and he keeps and this is something that he said and he said this not just one occasion he said this multiple occasions after every couple of months and mm. he's just like you know i really love this so mm. he said that now i feel that i'm not just <clears throat> i've converted but i'm part of the community I'm not just a solo individual, yeah, yeah. but I am. I feel as one when I am with the community. Exactly, and then you know he was the originally. It was only him hmm. who converted. He has a wife, uh, two daughters from his marriage, and one daughter from the previous marriage that his wife has. Hmm. So they were like, "Okay, this is you. You do you." Yeah. Right. Uh, you're not going to force us. We're not going to force you to change. Hmm. But you know, this is what you said. Did I notice anything? Obviously, I noticed because he was coming regularly yeah, to yeah. to Friday prayers, right? And whenever he had a question, he would ask. Whenever there's some Spanish clip, because this these are in these countries we speak Spanish, yeah, and yeah. one of the issues we have sometimes is content. Mm. Like this is lovely. We have a program in English, mm. right? There's programs in Urdu in other places, but Spanish. We mm. haven't re- reached mm. that stage yet. We have podcasts happening through review of religions, mm. a different aspect, right? But um, you know, this is this this is something that w- he was desperately missing. So whenever we share this, he's like, you know, I really like this and everything. So about seven months down the line, after I had been there, I I had said that. You know, if you want, you can bring your wife as well. Like, I'm not saying keep away. No, mm-hmm. Islam is a religion that always emphasizes the importance of family as well. Mm. But, you know, it shouldn't be that that should be a hurdle in in stopping you from practicing your faith. So he's like, okay, yeah, I'll bring him. So his wife, she's you know she's very meticulous and she likes to. take everything note everything and and when she believes in something she has to have the certainty for herself mm-hmm. at least right not complete certainty in everything but the certainty that this is the right thing mm. so she's like she started coming for eid prayers you start with that right mm-hmm. yeah then she came for one friday prayer then we had a meeting at a cafe she brought her children as well and We had uh, Jalsa Salana, uh, which is the annual convention in, mm. uh, for the community in Honduras, mm. in uh, January 2022. So just this previous year, oh sorry, 2023. So we had it at that time, 
and he brought his whole family and in fact the wife was like we'll all go hmm. yeah cuz she's like i want to see brought the whole family even their niece mm-hmm. <laughs> right <laughs> so they brought the whole family even their niece they spent uh two days with us they came driving uh their own car and they stayed and they they absolutely enjoyed it mm. right when i went back uh, uh you know i had to go attend uh the annual convention in belize but before i had or while i was in belize or before i had left they had sent a message we want to meet you i said okay i'll be back during this time they came back they said so i was actually so this is what she said she said i was actually ready to convert prior to the convention mm. but being at the convention seeing and hearing what you guys are saying not just you who's the missionary of 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 this city mm. of this region but then the missionary who came from guatemala the missionary who who came from uh panama the missionary who came from other places right though you guys were speaking different words were coming out of your mouth the message was, was the same the, same. the mm. unity yeah right and she said she absolutely loved that because then that showed there was no hypocrisy mm. there was no deception yeah right and she said that she wanted to convert and she wants her children to be part of it so as this is something that is needed within Honduras Wonderful. Well, Zahir, <coughs> we could go on and on and yeah. on, but unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Brother Kiyom? I just want to finish off with, we talked about the flag of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And in his final sermon um, on the Mount, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, um, on uh, on his farewell sermon, ch- uh, charged those present to convey the substance of his address to those absent, observing that perchance, He who hears at second hand may retain it better than the one who is present. I think we are doing that today. I think you gentlemen as imams of the Abdi Muslim community are doing that very successfully. May Allah bless you for what you do. Amen. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much uh, to everyone, uh, to you for listening and for joining us today on the Draft Time show here on a Friday. Everything that we've spoken about you can find on our official website www.alislam.org if you want to visit any of the mosques of the Hindu Muslim community here in the UK or in any other country for that matter you can get in contact with the voice of Islam and we will guide you into the right direction inshallah you have heard about two of the books about two of the books uh, that Imam Zahid and Brother Kim were talking about one the philosophy of the teachings of Islam and one the victory of Islam he has written extensively and many many different books which again are also available on our website from all of us here thank you very much for listening and we'll be back with you on monday inshallah god willing tomorrow morning sml is going to join you at 10 a.m and weekend world on sunday morning at 10 a.m have a great evening have a great wonderful uh, weekend from all of us assalamu alaikum <laughs>